It's week three. The ism we're tackling today was the most voted on ism out of the 93 we had. This ism, I think it had over 100 votes. People want us to open this one up uh, the most out of all of them. So here's the ism. Here's what it is this morning. We are going to talk about this. God gives his hardest battles to his toughest soldiers. Boo! <laughs> Amen. Okay, okay. Who's heard this before? Okay, who's brave? Who has said this before? Okay, a few honest people. All right. Now, let's talk about this from the positive side. All right, so when you walk into a room and you are trying to say this ism, okay, for some reason you are just spurred to this, let's assume the best. Let's assume you have good intention. What are you trying to say? What are you really trying to get across this moment? How about this? When we say this, what we're trying to say is that you're doing great with a terrible situation. How's that sound? That's what we're trying to say, right? Man, this situation is awful, and I'm so impressed the way that you're handling it. Does that sound fair? Do you want to know what we're actually saying? Yes? No? Okay. Oh, it, here's what we're actually saying. So God did this to you and to your loved ones because he knew that you could handle extreme pain and suffering. Doesn't that help you sleep at night? The reason that God stole the person you love, the reason that God made you sick, the reason that your child is suffering is guess what? He knew that you could handle it really well. Do you see why I have to kind of joke about this? If we don't, we're all just going to kind of just, you know, end up hugging ourselves and crying ourselves to sleep, right? This is what we're saying. We are telling people in the moment of someone's absolute pain and suffering, we walk in and say, hey, it's okay, man. You know what? Because you know what? All this is terrible, but guess what? He knew you could handle it. At least you're tough. I think you can kind of feel where this is going. So for us and all the isms, what's important for us is what, what kind of God are we describing? What kind of picture of who God is are we painting when we use these isms? We understand in the book of Hebrews it says that Christ is the exact representation of who God is, of his being, of his nature. And so we see that in Christ, God looks like Jesus. This is the ultimate picture. This is the most clear image we have of who God is. He looks like Jesus. And so the question is, what do these isms say God looks like? If the Bible and the Spirit are trying to testify in the world saying God looks like Christ, and that's our job to say that, what are we really saying? Are we saying God looks like Jesus, or are we saying God looks like something else? Now let's talk about that. What are we saying God looks like? When we say that God did this to you because you're really tough, Here's what we're saying about God. Here's the first thing. We are saying that God is the author of evil, pain, suffering, sickness, and death. Amen? I really got the early service really good on that one. They're like, amen. Oh, no. Oops. Sorry. Shouldn't have said on that one. No, that's not an amen. We are saying does the God in Jesus, does it look like the author of pain, sickness, death, suffering? 
Is that who God is? But every time that we float these isms, even with the best intentions, even though we care and we're trying to help, this is the God that we're painting in the picture. In the moment of their, of their deepest pain, when their ability to trust, to feel, to hope is, is gone, we're coming and saying, hey, guess what? It's okay because, you know, it's all God's fault. But it's because he loves you. He did this to you because he loves you very much. Here's what else we're saying. We're saying that not only is he the author of these things, it's not only that evil and pain, suffering, sickness, and death is coming from God, we're also saying that God needs these things. He needs these things to gain glory. See, what's hidden behind these statements is the concept that what? Everything happens for a reason, our favorite, right? We all talked about that one week one, right? And that whole idea of everything happens for a reason, it all comes from the idea that God has pre-planned everything. Everything is already planned out. And so when good things happen, it makes sense. Well, see, God blessed you because he loves you, and see, we get to worship him for it. Amen. But then when your child gets sick, when your loved one dies, we say, well, to God be the glory as you watch your child suffer. Well, see, this had to happen so that God could be glorified. And see, it's not that people are consciously going through all these ideas, but these are the, the sneaky pictures of God that when someone comes into our life and we are in pain and we are suffering and says these things, these are the images of God that we are building in our heart. This is how we see God when people begin to reinforce these things. One of the things about these isms I want to talk about is this. It's, it's, I don't know anyone who goes into a hospital room trying to hurt people. <laughs> you're not going into it saying, okay, what could I say to cause more pain? It's not what you're thinking. You're going in and saying, how can I help? Like, how can I fix? How can I bring something that's going to make it better? The problem with those situations, when you walk into a hospital room, when you walk into a funeral, is that you feel powerless, right? Have you felt that before? You walk in, you can almost feel the heaviness. You can almost feel the hopelessness in the room. And you walk in, and the first thing you begin to think is, how can I make this better? How can I change this? How can I, how can I help? And so we try to, to grasp, we'll see if they had an answer. That'd make everything better if I could just have an answer. Or, you know, those of us who are smarter than that, we say, well, I don't have an answer, but guess what I can do? I can make a dish. Right? When you guys are suffering, people bring food, right? That's not a bad thing. Food is good. But we, we react in these ways. Okay, food, flowers. Okay. Some of you might be this way, but few families who I've counseled through grief and loss actually care about flowers. When we have all the flowers show up, they couldn't care less. It actually becomes a problem for them. Afterwards, they go, who's going to take these? It's not that we have bad intentions. It's that we don't know what to do. How do we help? How do we change it? So what do we do? And so we've been told, hey, you, here's food. Here's flowers. And guess what? Here's a, an ism. Here's small talk. Here's whatever it is that we think we need to do. Here's the first thing that I want you to understand about this. When someone in your life is going through pain, when they've lost someone, it isn't about you. And I know that you know that. I know that I know that. 
But the moment that we walk in the room and we feel it, we instantly begin to feel the need to change the situation. In some weird way, it becomes about us and us trying to just fix things. Hey, it's awkward in here. So like, let's talk about sports. Let's, let's find a way to change the situation. I want you to understand something. The feeling of feeling powerless when you walk into the room and someone has lost a loved one, when something terrible has happened, when someone is sick on the bed, when you walk in the room and you feel powerless, embracing that, allowing yourself to feel powerless is the closest you will ever be to connect with them. Do you understand me? Your ability to feel powerless, to feel as if you can't fix it, you can't control it, you can't make it better, you can't undo it, for you to allow that to set in on you is the closest we can come to connecting to where they are. And the worst thing we can ever do is try to push that off and try to fix things. They don't need us to fix things. They just need us in some way, shape, or form to be there, to be present, to connect to them, and to not need anything from them. They don't need to feel the need. They should not feel the need to have small talk with us. They should not feel the need, you know, to have to talk the weather or to ask us how we're doing. How are you doing? They shouldn't feel that need when we walk in the room because it's not about us. And we're going to let ourselves sit in this place of powerlessness and awkwardness and pain and silence and just where the seconds seem to just stretch. And we're going to sit there because that's the best thing we can offer them is being willing to be with them without needing anything from them and without trying to be God and fix things for them. This is how we have to respond to people who are in pain. Now, uh, you know, with all these isms, I always want to ask, okay, so, you know, where's this come from? And, you know, the first thing we, we find this, you know, where this ism kind of arrives, we, we talked a little bit about this already, just the concept that everything has a purpose from God, that God is moving in all things. And so in week one, we talked about this. We said it's not that God makes these things happen and he has a purpose to make people suffer, to make people have cancer, to make people die in car accidents. It's, that, it's not that God is the, if you would, the mover, the one who's making this stuff happen. It's that in the middle of these situations, what can happen is we can allow him to be present with us and things can have a purpose. Meaning good can come from evil. Light can shine in darkness, but it's not that God is the one who made evil or darkness so that he could shine. Our God doesn't need pain and suffering in order to be glorious. Okay? He doesn't need you to see evil so you understand his love. He doesn't need you to taste death so you understand life. He doesn't need that. He's good enough without it. You need a bigger God than the one you see right now. He doesn't need these things. The entire story of Christ is the opposite of what we're saying in these isms. We're saying that God is when he brings these things and did these things. No. We're the ones who have the good shepherd, just like in the book of John. We're not, it's not the shepherd, it's not Jesus who comes into our lives to steal, to kill, to destroy. It's the good shepherd who comes into our lives to protect us. It's the good shepherd who comes to suffer for us. It's the good shepherd who comes to take us to a place where we will never experience those things again. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why it's something you want to hear. 
What you don't need to hear is someone saying, hey, well, good news, uh, God decided to, to take that person from your life because he just wanted to have a, you know, just worship and songs sung to him in the hospital room. Amen. Just have faith. We're going to get to that one too, Nikki. You just wait. So here's the question. Okay, so if that's how we're supposed to not speak into these things, if that ism is what we're not supposed to say, then what are we supposed to say? If you guys have your Bibles, go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. In the series we did about Revelation, I tried to hit home that the entire book was intended by the Apostle John to bring comfort to people. It was supposed to bring comfort and to encourage. It was supposed to, to help people endure, to help people have joy and hope in situations where they shouldn't have joy and hope. Now, the problem with most of us is that, that we've been taught the book in a way that it brings fear, it brings worry. It does the opposite of what John meant for it to do. And so, in chapter 21, we see the entire the reason that a Christian is able to go through pain and have hope. And here's kind of uh, how he ends the book. Uh, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. It's very important to understand the sea. Uh, in, in Old Testament uh, times with the Jews, they saw the sea as the, the place where all chaos comes from, meaning Everything that, that would kind of push against the will of God, things that were uncontrollable, okay, car accidents, cancer, okay, like the monsters of this world came from the sea. And so the first thing he sees is that the kingdom of heaven is coming to connect to the earth. And so if you would, the control of God, the reign of God, when God is in control, is coming down to where we live. And what's going to happen, the first thing that happens is all of the chaos, all of the monsters, all of the things we can't control, the things that we're scared of, we're scared of losing our loved ones, we're scared of, of, of cancer, we're scared of sickness, we're, we're scared of, of autism, we're scared of all these things that we can't control, and all of this is going to disappear when God comes and returns. And then he said, and so I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, the idea is that heaven and earth, that God and man are going to be reconnected the way they were in the garden. All things are going to be made right. And so it goes on to say, And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Now, Pause there for a second. The language gets very, very churchy almost. Dwell and, you know, God's going to dwell with us. What it's saying in the most basic sense is God will be with us and he will never leave us. This is the hope. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the hope we have to offer people. Now, in the moment, in the hospital rooms, you know, in the funeral, uh, in the car ride, when it's silent, this is not the time to get a sermon going. But here's what we do need to say. In, instead of saying, you know, that everything happens for reason or saying that God gives his toughest battles to his strongest, you know, uh, soldiers, all that nonsense, here's what we should say. The first thing is this. We should be the first ones in their life to tell them that what they just went through is wrong. 
The problem with those isms is that the first thing we as Christians are saying is that God gives the thumbs up to you going through all this pain right now. God is so happy to be blessed and worshipped as you suffer and cry. The first thing that we should say is what you're going through is wrong, and I'm sorry that you're going through it. This is not the heart of God for you. The entire good news of Jesus is that his plans for you, uh, as we read this morning in John, that you would have life and life to the fullest. This is the intentions of the good shepherd for you. And when he returns, this is what he's going to make happen. We will never experience loss, death, sickness, mourning ever again. And so the first thing we do is we say, what you experienced is wrong. That you had to watch your loved one suffer. That is wrong. That is not the heart of God for you or for your loved one. The next thing we, we, we emphasize, and again, we don't even say these things with words. We act these things out with them. God is near. I am here, and I'm a safe place. Sometimes what people need is just a safe place to be. And when they have lost, when they have gone through pain and suffering, sometimes what, what they need is a place to yell, a place to, to cuss. Amen? <laughs> a place to blame God. A place to just have questions and anger and rage and, and fear. And they need a place to let it out. And one of the first places that people who are suffering are going to encounter the presence of God is in us if we are willing to be in it with them. If we're willing to feel powerless and to stop talking and stop fixing and stop just be with them. It's amazing what the Spirit of God will orchestrate if you would just be quiet and be present. And so as we go forward as a church into situations where people are suffering, I want you to keep this in your minds. This is how we are to interact. The moment that they go into pain, we are not going to fix. We are going to be present with them. We are going to let that heaviness settle in on us as well. We're going to share the loss, share the burden. We're going to be with them the best that we know how. Amen? I've got a few minutes. Would you guys want to do a lightning round real quick? Hit two more? You guys like, no, I can't take it. How about this one? Well, God just needed them more than we do. <laughs> I saw so many heads go. Oh, it, you know what? It's okay that so-and-so passed because you know what? God just needed them. Okay. This is my soapbox, by the way. I'm not sure if it can like, handle me standing on it, so I'm going to do like the one-legged thing, Okay. Forget it. <laughs> Last service, I didn't even do that. I was so nervous. I was like, I can't do this. I'm afraid I'm going to get on it. It's going to break, and I'm going to fall. We're not the same weight, Randa. <laughs> God doesn't need your loved one to run errands for him in heaven. If your God needs your loved one in heaven more than we do, then your God is too stinking small. Okay, we'll leave that one. Here's the next one. I'm so sorry you're going through blah, blah, blah. You know what? Just have faith. Oh, I know you guys have heard that one, right? Now, 
What we're trying to say is this and that. What we're trying to say is, you know, if you would just kind of hit the gym a little bit more, if you kind of exercise, maybe your situation would be better when you look in the mirror. If you would just exercise your spiritual muscles a little more, maybe your situation would change. Right? Are we saying that? Yeah, if you just have more faith. You know, if you would just trust God a little bit more, you know, if you just like read your Bible a little more, maybe you just pray a little bit more, maybe things would be better for you. If you would just fix it for yourself. Uh-oh, there's that one from last week, right? Uh-oh, there's that American Christianity sneaking in there. If you would just pick yourself up and fix it. Okay, here's the problem with that idea. Oh, just have faith. Yeah, I know you're, you know, you're, you're going through chemotherapy and you're thrown up next to the toilet. I know that, but you know what? Just have faith and, you know, it's all better. What the dangerous image of God that's sneaking inside that ism is this. That in some way, shape, or form, we're telling them that what they're going through is their own fault. If you just would have had more faith, this wouldn't happen. If you just would have had more faith, your child wouldn't have got sick, or your child, you know, if you would just pray for your child more, they would recover. If you just prayed for Sean more, he's going to start speaking. Just pray more. That's all you got to do. <laughs> You're like, I want to preach this one. It's probably best for everybody that I do it. You just <laughs> have to chain you or something. If you would have just had more faith, then God wouldn't have taken your loved one. If you just would have spent more time praying. Really? Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Here's what faith means in the Scriptures. Faith is relational. Faith is not a mental ascent where I begin to just think my way into trusting God. He's a good God. He's a good God. He's good. He, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. You know what? I can say myself about, I can say it to myself about someone all day long, but it's not that which forms my understanding of someone. It's my interaction with someone that forms my understanding of them. It's relational. I can trust, I can take a certain step of faith with anyone I haven't met yet. But to go beyond this, it takes experience. I have to begin to get to know someone. Can I trust this person? Who is this person? What do they want from me? Do they have good plans for me? Do they have an ulterior motive? Who is this person? I can step into marriage and trust my spouse, have faith in my spouse, not because they're perfect, because I know that they want good for me because I've experienced this. And in God, we experience God in Jesus. And we find that God is a God who loves us, who desires good things for us. And what he asks of us is that we would just cling to him. That's what the word means um, in the Gospel of John. When he uses the word faith, he means like hold on to. Have you ever experienced such pain, uh, almost like so much emotion, that in that moment you felt when you're hugging someone, it's almost like you're just being pulled away. Does that make any sense? Like you're just like holding on to like a pillar or something, just trying to be grounded in the moment so you didn't get swept away and you would just hold on to someone with all your might. This is what the language is when, whenever the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans, that <clears throat> if we would believe that he's the Son of God, that we, would, that we would lean on him, that we would live our lives clinging to Jesus. It's relational. Having more, th more faith is not having to picture your loved one being back or having to picture your child not suffering anymore. It's even with your doubts, even with your anger, even with your questions, clinging to Jesus. This is what it is to have faith in God. Would you stand with me?